Welcome to Oy Vey Isn't a Strategy, Success Solutions for Work and Life, with Deborah Grayson Regal, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Jcast Network, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast, Reading Between the Lines. I'm your coach, Deborah Grayson Regal. I was recently at my family's house in Minnesota, and I had the opportunity to read their local paper, the Star Tribune. And in that paper, I found a wonderful column by a syndicated columnist, Harvey McKay. And the title of the column was, Business People Who Play by the Books Get Ahead. And here is the opening paragraph from that article. People who read business books earn more money, a lot more, even in tough economic times. According to Sales and Marketing Executives International, business people who read at least seven business books a year earn 2.3 times more than those who read only one book a year. And the article goes on to talk about why people who read business books tend to earn more money. And a primary reason is that the more we read, the more we are connected to a steady flow of ideas, strategies, perspectives, other people's ways of thinking, and it really is a wonderful way to keep us on our toes, connected to new ideas, and always thinking new thoughts. I happen to love reading. When I first got my Kindle, it was a little bit like owning a slot machine. I would punch three or four buttons and all of a sudden I was down 50 bucks. And uh, I realized that as much as my reading habit was good for me as a human and a business person, uh, this wasn't going to be good for my bottom line, no matter how much reading business books helps business people earn more money. So now I have a strategy that I use, which allows me to read as many books as I want to read and uh, still have Uh, money to pay things like mortgage and school tuition and camp. So here's what I do. Every Sunday I sit down with the New York Times uh, review of books section and I go through it. As I'm looking at books that seem to pique my interest, what I do is I go to my Kindle, I download the free sample that's usually available for most books these days. I read the free sample. If it seems really interesting, I go online and I check out if my library has it or can get it for me in the next month or so. If they can, then I put it on reserve. And if it seems like my library is not going to be able to get it for me within the next month, then I go ahead and give myself a treat, which is downloading the book on the Kindle or even ordering a hard copy from Uh, an online website. And um, I actually learned this kind of strategy through one of my favorite books. And today I'm going to be sharing with you some of my all-time favorite business books that have helped me as a person, as a professional, and that I've used many, many times in coaching my clients, in facilitating workshops. And also many of these are books that I have referenced as source information for the book that I have coming out on May 1st, Oy Vey Isn't a Strategy, 25 Solutions for Personal and Professional Success. So, what was the book that I read that gave me the idea that I actually needed to figure out a better strategy for dealing with my um, thirst 
for books. It was one of my favorite books called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. Dan Ariely is uh, a, an author who falls into the category of uh, behavioral economist. And um, the book really talks about how poor we are at predicting the way that we're going to think, the way that we are going to behave. And in fact, we behave far more irrationally than we ever give ourselves credit for. And uh, one of the experiments that really stuck out in my mind was an experiment that he and his team of researchers had done with a group of college students where they asked them to uh, answer some questions about how they think they would, their likelihood of engaging in uh, risky behaviors. And they asked them, you know, whether they would be um, likely to engage in a, a number of uh, socially questionable and basically unacceptable behaviors. And more, far more often than not, this group of college students said no, they wouldn't do things that were um, vile or disgusting or, or socially unacceptable in any way. And then, without becoming too graphic, in uh, in my description, you're welcome to read the book yourself, he um, excited this group of students, shall we say. And basically what he did was he, he had them engage in an activity that got their heart rate pounding and their blood flowing um, and asked them the same series of questions about whether they would engage in a series of activities that were socially and morally questionable at best. And all of a sudden, when people were feeling really, really excited, uh, they were far more willing to engage in these activities when they were asked the same question. And something that I know from my work and training people to give presentations is that it almost doesn't matter if the rush of adrenaline that you're feeling is called excitement or fear. Once you have that rush of adrenaline, your brain is not working as well as it should and your decision-making capacity is really minimized at best, if uh, non-functional at worst. And I realized after reading this book that I was having an excited response to the bounty of books that was available to me, and I was no longer using good decision-making, the same kind of good decision-making that I use when I go to a shoe store or a supermarket or any other place where I'm um, filled with things that excite me and intrigue me and that I want to buy. In other contexts, I'm able to hold myself off when it came to books, I was getting so excited that I was behaving irrationally. And for me, behaving irrationally was just constantly purchasing and downloading books on my Kindle. And so I actually needed to set up a structure that allowed me not to have to think while I was excited. And so the structure that I have now that allows me to manage my book habit is sitting down with the review of books or any other book that comes across my desk, whether it's through email or recommendation from a friend, and saying, let's take a look at the sample of the book first. Let's see, after I've read the sample, if the book is available in some way that won't cost me. And then if it is going to cost me, I get to make a decision that's not based on the heat of the moment, but that is actually based on me having a strategy in place that I follow as closely as I can. Now, that may sound very controlled or controlling, uh, perhaps insane to you, but all I can tell you is that it's worked for me. 
And the same sort of plan has worked for many of my clients who have recognized through coaching that when they are feeling stressed, when they are feeling hungry, when they are feeling unloved, when they are feeling anything that um, aggravates them or accelerates their adrenaline level, we have come to understand what it uniquely looks like and feels like for them when they are in a place where they should not be making a a decision because they are in essence hot. They are are running hot and by running hot you're not able to engage in cool thinking. And so part of our work together has been coming up with strategies that buys them the time they need to cool themselves down before they react or respond in any way that they might regret later, just like the college students in Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational. So that book was really helpful for me because it was another way of thinking about how to behave when you are not feeling calm, you're not feeling yourself, and it buys you the time that so many of us need in order to make better decisions. So Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, is one of my all favorites. Another book that sits on my desk that I pull upon for lots of different reasons is the book called How Successful People Think by John C. Maxwell. And the subtitle is Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And as much as I'm tempted to share with you one particular kind of thinking, I actually think that his list of 11 different thinking skills would be a really interesting thing to share here. So here's here's what he talks about. He, he talks about that everybody needs a variety of thinking pieces, and once you are engaging in 11 different kinds of thinking, you're doing the kind of thinking that will allow you to achieve your goals, whether your goals are personal or professional, or even the goal of how do I not buy every single book that excites me the minute that it comes out. And so here are are the 11 skills that John Maxwell talks about. He talks about seeing the wisdom of big picture thinking. So big picture thinking is one kind. He discusses unleashing the potential of focused thinking. So big picture thinking, you want to be able to see bigger and beyond what you might normally take a look at. And focused thinking is really honing in on what it is uh, that you want or one particular element that really needs your time and attention. He talks about discovering the joy of creative thinking. And so in this case, he's really talking about engaging your right brain and sort of thinking beyond the natural boundaries that we put around most of our thinking, which is, is it logical? Is it feasible? Can I afford it? Do I have the time for it? And that all of us need to practice the capacity to think beyond those limitations. He discusses recognizing the importance of realistic thinking, right? So if we've done some creative thinking where we are releasing ourselves from the boundaries of time, money, feasibility, buy-in, all of those things, then we also need to balance it with thinking realistically about what can I do with what I have. Maxwell also talks about releasing the power of strategic thinking. So not just thinking in the moment, but thinking ahead, being planful about what next move needs to come for you and how you are going to ultimately get to your goal. He talks about feeling the energy of possibility thinking. And I know that one of my all-time favorite questions to ask myself and also to ask my clients is the question, what's possible? And of course, 
far too often the response is, well, anything is possible. And uh, I'm usually willing to laugh at that, but I, I push people to go a little further than anything is possible and really put a name to, to what that anything is. And Maxwell agrees. He believes that um, possibility thinking gives us a tremendous amount of energy. And once we've thought of what the possibilities are, then we can start engaging in some of these other kinds of thinking. Maxwell also talks about um, embracing the lessons of reflective thinking. And what's wonderful about reflective thinking is that it allows us to think about what just happened there? Uh, what is going on right now out there? What is going on right now in here for me? And it's also the kind of thinking we need to do about thinking. Now, if just hearing that hurt your head, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And one question that I, I ask uh, groups where we're doing brainstorming activities or, or strategic planning processes or even getting ready to start a workshop on any topic is, what kind of thinking is your thinking strength and where do you do your best thinking? And one of my uh, very good colleagues, Todd Churches, who runs a, a training and consulting firm called Big Blue Gumball, actually does a considerable amount of thinking in the shower. And am I worried that he's going to be angry with me? No, I'm not, because in fact, uh, the amount of thinking that he does in the shower was covered in the press not too long ago in uh, Crane's business. And in fact, I believe he has a, a waterproof pad that he keeps in the shower that allows him to jot his notes down. And uh, I don't know that because I've been in his shower. I know that because he has written about that online and uh, I'm quite sure it's something that you can and can purchase online but I know that I do a lot of really good reflective thinking thinking about my own thinking when I'm in the shower there's something about the steady drum of the water coming down and um, I'd like to say having no distractions but for whatever reason my kids still think that's an appropriate place to visit me but alas I digress what other kinds of thinking does Maxwell talk about he talks about questioning the acceptance of popular thinking. So in other words, just because everybody is thinking this way, does that mean that you need to as well? I know that questioning the acceptance of popular thinking was really important to me in my life when I started thinking about whether I should stay with a full-time, stable job that I really, really liked, or whether I should take the leap in an uncertain economy to open my own business. Popular thinking would say, stick with what you know, stick with what you've got, why rock the boat? But I knew that uh, my personal thinking, my reflective thinking, my big picture thinking, my creative thinking, my strategic thinking, my possibility thinking, all of my thinking led me to taking the leap to launching my own coaching, training, consulting practice. And uh, I still think a lot about that decision. And usually the context is thinking about it as the best decision that I've ever made. Okay, a few more different kinds of thinking. Encouraging the participation of shared thinking. So if you're the kind of person who typically thinks on his or her own, it can be helpful to invite one or more people to think something through with you. 
And what I have found is, is an important part of shared thinking is clarifying at the beginning what it is you are going to do with the outcome of shared thinking. Meaning, you need to let people know if you are going to be taking their thoughts into consideration, if in fact their thoughts will drive your decision, or if you're just asking people to think things through with you but make no commitment to using the outcome of what somebody else thought. People appreciate that kind of clarity early on. Maxwell talks about experiencing the satisfaction of unselfish thinking. In other words, thinking about what it is that you could possibly doing to benefit other people. Uh, so getting rid of anything that feels self-serving in your thinking and just putting your brain to work for the good of somebody else. And then finally, enjoying the return of bottom line thinking. So bottom line, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? What has to happen here? What has to happen next? So just as a quick review, of course, I encourage you to go out and buy John Maxwell's book, How Successful People Think, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. Of course, by encourage you to buy it, I mean first check to make sure that it's at your library. If you can get it at your library, go. you know the drill. Here are the 11 kinds of thinking. Uh, big picture thinking, focus thinking, creative thinking, realistic thinking, strategic thinking, possibility thinking, reflective thinking, uh, questioning the acceptance of popular thinking, shared thinking, unselfish thinking, and bottom line thinking. So those are 11 ways of thinking, and I encourage you maybe even to replay that part of the podcast and think about what kinds of thinking you engage in the most, what kinds of thinking, in fact, you tend not to engage in. Uh, maybe you're not really a bottom line thinker, um, but you're a really good possibility thinker. Maybe you're a great big picture thinker, but not a really good focus thinker. Where do you actually need to improve your thinking capabilities, and where might you want to invite some other people to engage in shared thinking with you to help supplement what it is that you don't naturally bring to thinking? And I... I have so many other books that I want to share with you in addition to Dan Ariely's Predictably Irrational and John Maxwell's How Successful People Think. Um, what I think I will do for my third book, even though I have so many others that I want to share, but that's the power of having a bi-weekly podcast. I can share it with you in another time. I want to share with you a book uh, called Credibility, How Leaders Gain It and Lose It, Why People Demand It, and it's by James Kozis and Barry Posner. Uh, my regrets if I'm mispronouncing anything here. They both wrote The Leadership Challenge. They both are uh, the authors of leadership inventories that I use with, with many of my uh, executive clients, and these guys are two of the best thinkers in the world about leadership. And there was one part of this book on credibility that I, I have to share. I stole this book from the library of a cruise ship, and I, I recognized the irony of me taking a book about personal credibility, and uh, yeah, I think I stole it. Even though I left two books in its place, uh, it does, in fact, say, please return to the library of celebrity cruises, but I digress. So here's one element in this very, very rich, thick book that really struck me, and there's a section called Sustaining Credibility is a Person-to-Person -person Activity. And it, it talks about the, the importance of credibility as a dynamic of trust. And uh, if you want to know more about the dynamics of trust, just I digress for a second. I highly encourage you to uh, 
pick up, download, or borrow the book, The Thin Book of Trust by Charles Feltman, F-E-L-T-M-A-N. But here's here's what they say about credibility, about uh, your ability to get people to believe what it is that you have to say and believe that you will will make good on the promises that you make. And here's how it describes credibility. Earning credibility is a retail activity, a factory floor activity, a person-to-person activity. Credibility is gained in small quantities through physical presence. Leaders have to be physically present, they have to be visible, and they have to be close to their constituents to earn their respect and trust. Why did this stick out for me so much? It stuck out for me so much because we have really, as a society, moved from high touch to high tech. And high tech absolutely has its benefits. Uh, I use every piece of technology possibly available to me. However, if you want to build credibility with people, it requires you to get out from behind your desk. It requires you to be connected with the people that you are wanting to lead, manage, influence, engage in relationship with you. It requires you to be there as physically as you possibly can be and really look into the eyes, speak into the ears, um, have physical proximity to the people that you want to be with. And and that's why, you know, there are so many training programs out there about uh, leading virtual teams or managing virtual meetings. And those training programs are out there because it is, in fact, very, very difficult to lead people who you cannot touch and see. And many of us feel like, well, with the advent of, of technology, this is becoming more and more of a reality that people are going to be more high-tech than high-touch. And I know that it's true, but that being said, there is no substitute for you building credibility bit by bit, person to person, through every transaction of a relationship. A colleague of mine, uh, Mark Allen, who has written extensively on corporate universities, said something that, that really stuck with me. He, we were talking about uh, distance learning, and he says that he believes that the greatest invention to ever serve distance learning is the invention of the airplane. So in other words, it's not about uh, WebEx or any other piece of technology that allows people to learn together. It's actually getting on an airplane or in a cab or on a train and learning with the people who you want to build a relationship with. And in the same way that an email thank you note after a job interview is nice, it's no substitute for a handwritten note. If you want to build credibility with people, It is much better done in person, time after time, repeatedly, so that people can see you, so that people can see the whites of your eyes. Uh, So these were three books that have impacted me personally and professionally. Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, John Maxwell's How Successful People Think, and uh, the book Credibility, which I stole from James Kozis and Barry Posner. There are many other books that have influenced me. It'll be my pleasure to share them with you. And most importantly, I invite you to share with me what you are reading that has really inspired you, that has changed the way that you think and see the world, changed the way that you relate to people, and uh, hopefully the business books that you are reading are contributing to your personal, professional, and economic success. Thanks for listening. I look forward to speaking with you again next time.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Oive Isn't a Strategy. We invite you to write a review on our iTunes page and comment on our show page at jcastnetwork.org slash oive. The opening and closing music for the Oive podcast is Responsibility by Naomi Less. Her album, The Real Me, is available on Amazon, iTunes, and CD Baby.